1: We are back for another edition of Terry's Talking. This is David Campbell, your host, sports manager at Cleveland.com, joined as every week by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, we are out of the fog of combine week. How are you doing? Pretty good? I am doing well because I didn't have to go to Indianapolis.
0: And, boy, we covered – we really did cover that like it was a Super Bowl. And that's a good thing because, uh, I mean, that's what people were talking to me about. You know, I I thought – you know, the idea when you go there and, and you had your people doing the right stuff is it's not just, you know, what a guy's running to 40 or what it is. You get to hear what Garrett Wilson and some of the players say, then you just kind of let Mary Kay loose to see what she hears. And she's very good with the agents. And uh, that's one of her real strengths is that area of, of news. And and she's well connected with agents. And we were able to find out, you know, different things. I thought it was very significant. Uh, what she had about Baker Mayfield, you know, where the, their people are hearing nothing but he's the guy. And I don't think they would go overboard saying he's the guy the Browns were unless that's exactly where they're at at the moment.
1: Yeah, you bring up a good point. It's, it, it is like, it's more like a pro football convention yes. and it is the workouts and the, and the squats and the mm-hmm. bench presses and, and the squat jumps and all that. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff came out of it. So why don't we start with the Browns in the NFL then? So we can get into this a little bit. What yeah. did you take from the combine in terms of things that you heard, things that you might've gotten uh, a sense of that the Browns might do? players that might have surprised you i don't know where do you stand in terms of what this meant for the browns after the weekend you know i'm in the minority
0: on this i still think and i still think they're going to take a pass rusher in the first round i just do it in the all the attention given to the receivers and they they need a receiver but i just believe that later on they're going to go and grab one of those guys second round or trade up later in the first round and do it but i do believe um when they sit there, whether it's analytically or logically, do you want to throw three years and gigantic dollars at Jadavian Clowney? And some team probably will. And given his injury history and all that, um, I wouldn't do it. And if I could get a younger guy on a cheaper contract that I think maybe is going not going to be as good as Clowney is now, but could develop into a guy that you know it's an above average defensive end remember he's playing across for miles garrett i'm doing that and i got a feeling that's what they're going to do uh, I, now that is not something that particularly came out of the combine but there also wasn't stuff coming out of the combine that said oh no they're not going to go in that direction either
1: yeah and what we're hearing is there's going to be a lot of starters that will mm-hmm. come out of the second and third rounds guys that can be pro bowl yes. players and Pass rushers are very—it's a very specialized thing. Like you, you have—you don't find too many of those guys who can make a difference uh, rushing the passer from the edge. So I, I think there's some merit to your to your contention. Well, when they, they do go... the ranking
0: of positions, David, I was told this, and that you know this is from the analytics thing, but it it also I think covers um, some logic too. Number one is quarterback. You know that's why they get all the money and all that. Number two is pass rushers. And then number three, I've heard, could be left tackle. So it gets more of a murkier down there. But but if you think about it, if the name of the game is passing, so A, the quarterback, B, trying to get to the other guy's quarterback, or C, protecting your quarterback, those would be your three positions of import. And that's where you should you know put your money. And that's why I think it's going to be there. And then after that, You start debating, you know. uh, I guess you could throw a cornerback in there too. Some people would have a cornerback at number three, uh, as opposed to the left tackle. But those, but you think passing, and that's what I was told. Um, I mean, I think Joe Banner told me that, and Joe Banner is one of the Godfathers of the analytics movement. By the way, so that's something to keep in mind. And I, I, I don't see these guys deviating from that. And I think they'll say, hey, we can get a receiver in the second or third round. We can, uh, we can maybe sign a guy who isn't picked up right away in the initial rush. But my guess, they have – probably they have at least two guys targeted. You know, remember like last year they had John Johnson and um, I forgot who the other player they signed right away. Um, Hill, I believe it was. Remember they went after – Right, uh, yep, both from the Rams. The, yeah, the two cornerbacks because that fits into their, their style of thing.
1: Yeah, and all the positions that you were kind of highlighting there, those are all what they call what game-changing – Yeah. They make game-changing plays. If a, if a guard makes a, a great block, it might get you an extra five yards or mm. more. But guys who guys like Miles Garrett who can strip sack, that's a 50- 50 or 55-yard play if it if it switches field position. So I think you're right. I think that's where the Browns uh, now, might, now might be. The
0: other argument, and there's a validity to it, is what about don't receivers change games
1: too? They do, but are there more of them available? Which is kind of what you're getting at. Can yeah, that, you get one that, later on.
0: It, it, it also shocked. Here's what I do love about the NFL. You know, if this were baseball, even whatever they end up settling with, you still will have one team with a payroll four or five times as much as another. Which means I could go throw big money at both of those positions. The NFL forces you whether you're drafting. Or especially in free agency and your roster, it forces you to pick and choose and prioritize, and then it allows some real talent to get on the market because you can't fit him into the cap where he can go somewhere else. And that's why the Cincinnati Bengals could go to the Super Bowl. It's why Green Bay can afford to pay all that money to Aaron Rodgers. Now they're going to have to make some tough roster choices after that, but they could do it. You know, whereas uh, in baseball. You know, you can't I mean the Indians can't sign Francisco Lindor. That would have been like a Rogers type contract. So I do really appreciate the NFL for that because it really just puts premium on your talent judgment as a uh, front an office and coaching staff.
1: So let's get into this quarterback news of the week mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and it's interesting, you know, going into the off season. Our colleagues were podcasting and writing, and you've been writing about like all the available veterans who are out there, Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers, Russell Wilson. So within the last couple of days, Russell Wilson has gone off the board and Aaron Rodgers has gone off the board. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers first. So Aaron Rodgers says he's staying with the Packers. It's not a done deal yet, but they're looking at four years, about $50 million per year. So I guess $200 million total, $153 million guaranteed. Terry he might have enough money now where he doesn't have to be on every commercial that we turn on when we're watching a game. Yeah. State Farm. Maybe he'll maybe he'll stop doing those with this I, new contract.
0: I, <laughs> I did say earlier on our podcast a couple other times that yeah, he's a grumpy guy and all, but in the end I thought he was gonna stay in Green Bay. Uh, because if you look around, you know, there too, he can he can be grumpy, he can be Malcolm Trent, you know, not not have to do it because it's just a smaller media market and
1: they're and good you it. Win in,
0: and you can win in green Bay. It doesn't matter where you're in green Bay or New York. It matters, you know, who's putting your team together.
1: Oh yeah. And he's a national presence playing in green Bay with yeah. all of the endorsements he has. So
0: and he has that, but then he could turn around and hide for a while and only talk to the one talk show that he talks, you know, he could really do things his way easily.
1: All right. So there's one veteran quarterback off the board. The second one who's off the board is Russell Wilson, who was traded by Seattle to Denver. Man, listen to this haul for Seattle. A yep. 20, the 2022 first round pick coming from Denver, which is number nine overall, 2023 first rounder, a 2022 second rounder, which is going to be number 40 overall, a 2023 second rounder, a 2022 fifth round pick, which is number 144. They also got Drew Locke in the deal defensive end Shelby Harris, and tight end Noah Fant. And if you know anything about Noah Fant, I mean, he's a for, former first-round pick and a Pro Bowl-caliber player. He's, he was drafted, I think, in 2019, so still really young. So just to round that up, first-rounder, first-rounder, second-rounder, second-rounder, second fifth-rounder, and those players. Were you surprised at – a lot of people were doing math in terms of what the Browns might give up in some kind of a deal like this. Were you surprised at how much was involved in that trade going back to Seattle? Well, Seattle
0: did what I would have done. They ran an auction. But the problem with running the auction is you also have Wilson with a no trade clause. People keep ignoring that. It doesn't matter. I guess what they say, well, Washington supposedly offered more. Maybe they did. But maybe you didn't want to go to Washington. In fact, probably didn't with that organization, which has been pretty messed up. So it doesn't matter that they offered more. So Seattle was really limited to... The best offer they could get to a place that Russell Wilson would go. The other factor of this, David, is he has got two years on his contract. It's like twenty some million, but you know you're not going to let him play out that second year. So a year from now, you probably, assuming Wilson continues to play well, will have him wanting an Aaron Rodgers contract. So it's the precedent very, has been set. Yep. Yeah, Denver better go out and win quick on this one because I think. Um, they're going to have cap issues and, and, and everything else. He, I mean, look, he's really good. I would have loved to come in here, but everything I heard from the moment, it you know, the things about Wilson, he wasn't coming here. And there were a whole bunch of places apparently he wasn't going.
1: And like you said, that all figures in. So, all right, so there's two names off the board. Aaron Rodgers, a long mm-hmm. shot for anybody, because as you said, he's going to stay in Green Bay. Russell Wilson, probably a long shot too, just because of the assets it's going to take. Another name. Still out there is Matt uh, Ryan from Atlanta. So Matt Ryan is 36, Russell Wilson's 33. They're both signed through the 2023 season. So they each have, like you mentioned with Russell Wilson, they each have two more seasons left on their contracts. Should the Browns be in the Matt Ryan Derby? And if so, what would you be willing to give up to get him here? Or do you think the Browns should just move on and and the price is, the price has been set too high and it's well, just going to take I too
0: wonder much. on Ryan what his value is around the league. Um now there's a cap figure of over 40 million on him. But the, as a top NFL executive told me the cash look at the cash amount and it's a lot less than that. So you yeah if you make the trade but you don't rework the contract you're stuck with 40 million on the cap but that's not what you would do. Now we're now we're getting to calculus but um the point being that you can get him without crushing your salary cap. And if you want to take a shot at him for two years, but this is not a guy that should bring in, you know, a couple of of second round picks or anything like that, because they may try to say, well, this is look what Matt Stafford got. Stafford was a a much younger player and and much better actually, in terms of just there. I've like I've always liked Ryan. I thought he's been underappreciated, but you know, I'd make a call and see. I don't know. What would you give up for him, David?
1: Maybe half of what the Seahawks got. I, I mean, I, I can't see the Browns mortgaging no the, that many draft picks. I mean, if you look at that with all those picks, I mean, you're talking about starters, quality mm-hmm. starters at, you know, with two first, two seconds. Mm-hmm. That's some That's some important draft capital that you're putting into a, a 36-year-old player. I don't think the Browns will even – sniff this right now i just i can't well, see I, it i mean maybe some team
0: that just thinks they need to to do something will go crazy and I'm, if i'm atlanta i want to find that team uh but i
1: don't think that's the browns and it's not and the other thing the browns have really been with the owen 16 they wanted to build towards sustainable long-term success how many times have we heard jimmy haslam talk mm-hmm. about this right And now they're there. They've got a young defense. They've got Miles Garrett in his prime. They've got an offense with a great offensive line waiting there, and they just need some playmakers. And you're going to blow all that up and risk sustainable success by sending draft picks away for a 36-year-old quarterback? And it just – it doesn't seem – I mean, is he much better than Teddy Bridgewater? Is he better than Teddy Bridgewater? Yeah, I'm just saying – There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Oh, is he that much better? Much
0: better. Remember, we're we're we're, oh, of course he is. But we're talking. I could sign Bridgewater for money, and no picks or anything else. Or suddenly I got to pick up a higher, probably contract number, no matter what I do on Ryan, and I got to make a trade for him. So if I'm thinking, I want to see what Baker Mayfield can do. After all this. Then I just, I do want an upgrade. If my coach won't play Case Keenum, I'm, I'm just wanting to be on the horse for about 30 seconds. If, that, <laughs> no, if he won't play Case Keenum, then I'm going to get off that horse and try to find another one. And in fact, he did have a, remember, Bridgewater was in Minnesota. So Stefanski does know him. So, of course, so Case Keenum was also. But I want a quarterback to put in there because I don't know that Baker Mayfield, A, is going to stay healthy. And I'll tell you one thing, if he's playing four or five games in a row that looked like those last six last year, I don't want to see it anymore.
1: I don't think the fans do either.
0: Yeah, so I want a guy, though, that could go in there and play because, as you mentioned a couple times too, it is a younger team, but it's not a team that has just – you know, it's not forever here you're trying to get to somewhere you were close, even as messed up as it was last year to getting to the playoffs. You know, it's totally realistic to expect the playoffs this upcoming year, if they do it right. But if the quarterback play is dismal again,
1: you have to have a a viable alternative. And I think that's where they're headed is finding a viable alternative. And Terry, it's your podcast. If you want to rant about case Keenum, every week you get you can get a minute to do well, that, so I'm just don't feel sure, bad i'm just man.
0: <laughs> it'd be funny to see him get picked up somewhere else and win some games but just saying
1: yeah hey one thing i wanted to mention i, I was kind of struck by this quote from arthur smith everybody uh, all the browns fans are saying oh why don't the browns back baker more you know, they're just saying they expect them to be their starter. Listen to this quote from Arthur Smith, the Falcons coach. I anticipate Matt being a part of the team, but you don't ever back yourself into a corner. Somebody gives you an offer you can't refuse. Matt knows how we feel about him. I think Matt's got a lot of good football left in him. Boy, talk about non committal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's he's about saying, three he's steps not even more. The
0: other two quarterbacks are off the market. Yeah. You know, it's our turn to run the auction. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing will be, I mean, the stance of Minnesota is to keep
1: cousins, but I don't know if that's the true stance or not. All right, lots of quarterback intrigue to play out, and free agency uh, is next week. So that's one year
0: into Andy Dalton, Teddy Bridgewater, what, Jameis Wilson, Jameis Winston, rather. There's probably a couple others.
1: And we'll um, start to see some dominoes fall on Sunday night into Monday. Some things yeah. start happening, and, and then what the freeze starts shaking legal, loose. So, the
0: tampering, whatever period.
1: All right, let's go from quarterbacks to tight ends. Terry, uh, kind of big news the last couple of days for the Browns is they attached a franchise tag to tight end David Njoku. Looks like it's going to be for about 10.8 million. Right move for the Browns?
0: I thought it was too expensive. We did discuss them last week, but they. You know they probably did their research and figured somebody else was going to give him that kind of money, so they'd rather keep him for another year, or it simply could be this: rather than get into some painful negotiation, whether it's eight million or nine million, just franchise him. He can't go anywhere. We got him for a year, and then let's see if he's could be as good as we think he can be. And I, I, just, I kind of I just think the guy's going to be inconsistent his whole career, so.
1: Yeah. And I think from the Browns point of view, like it's probably a smart move. It's a, it's a short-term commitment for now, although they do want to, it sounds like they do want to extend him, but I was talking about this last week. I just think his blocking has improved so much Mm -hmm. that they wanted to reward him for that. They know he can catch the ball and he can go up and get it in the red zone. He's shown that. And I think now it's just a matter of um, getting him the ball in good places. Your opinion is higher. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll see 10.8 million for David Njoku. Um, Hey Terry, I want to get your thoughts on something real quick. Uh, we've seen this Calvin Ridley story about, uh, the receiver from the Falcons who was mm-hmm. suspended last year and, or he wasn't suspended last year. He's been suspended for 2022 after sitting out the 2021 season. He bet $1,500 he says on he says. NFL games. Yeah. So there's been a little bit of discussion nationally about, Hey, betting's becoming more prevalent, Everybody's going to be doing it. It's going to be legal in Ohio potentially by the end of the year. Players should be allowed to bet on their own team. And, and there's kind of a loosening uh, sentiment out there in terms of letting players bet on their own team. Where do you stand on that? You think it's well, completely separate or what?
0: I don't think sports writers should be betting on sports, at least sports are anywhere that what they cover. And I have seen this when I was younger uh, of a sports writer who was betting on the NBA while covering it. And boy, does that color your coverage. You know, it really does. And then also on top of inside information and everything else. Yes, he may maybe only bet 1500 hours, but Ridley would it be certainly available to get a lot of inside information because he knows a lot of NFL people. He has an agent, you know, stuff that you're told just as being quote part of the world, Nobody expects you to go blabbing this to gamblers. So, and also, maybe it's fifteen hundred dollars, maybe it's fifteen thousand dollars. We don't know. That's all he said. Why would he just play it once? But may I ask you? Yeah, I don't know. So <laughs> those are just questions. What was he suspended for before that?
1: I think he just took the year off, um, just to get his mental health in order and just to yeah. kind of reset a little bit. But yeah, I agree, Terry, Like you know, there's, there's a lot of sports writer organizations that have pulled back from voting on player awards for that exact yeah. reason that like mm-hmm. you're influencing an award that might make a player some money, which it's just kind of a mess. And I think if you go back to the gambling thing, I, there's so much stuff that athletes can bet on. They shouldn't be betting on their own sport. You're right. just asking mean, look, for trouble.
0: Look, you can, you, right? you can, you can bet on you and your friends could get on and bet about Madden games. You know, you could do all kinds of stuff.
1: No shortage, no shortage right. of stuff. So don't so, no bet on your I own sport. Really I feel sports.
0: strongly, too, as you mentioned before, and there's a difference between, say, having an MVP vote and it helps the player get a bonus or something, as opposed to playing the pool on who's going to win the MVP out of Vegas or Atlantic City, and you got to vote. Oh, what a mess that is. Yeah. So that's the problem. You can't bet on any, in my view, you just can't bet on anything. I mean, first of all, I've known some, you know, pretty down on dirty gamblers and it's a lousy way to live. But secondly, as a sports writer, and a lot of us have egos, the temptation is to think, well, you know, I I knew that would get, team was going to win anyway. I mean, for example, if I had to bet and I did that, I had a bad feeling about Cleveland State this weekend going to the horizon tournament. They were not playing well. I saw them practice Saturday and I thought they worked hard and whatever, but they just they weren't clicking, you know, they just didn't, they've lost their point guard, Craig Bodon, earlier. And I knew he wasn't going to come back and play. There was some thought maybe he would, but I knew he wasn't because I happened to be a practice Saturday. How about, is that enough inside information right there? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. In fact, um, I did a story a long time ago with a guy named Joe Lupo. He ran the Stardust book. In Vegas back in the old days when Stardust book was, they set most of the lines, they were the place to go. And he also is from Stowe, that was the angle on that. He told me where they get beat a lot is mid-major college basketball and football.
1: I've heard this too because there isn't enough information going around mm-hmm. to get you an accurate line. And there's some ways that sometimes if you pay attention and if you know the games and the teams, you can exploit a bad line or an line. And that's and
0: exactly there. right. Or you huh. could really influence a line one way or the other with there's not as much action on it. And he said, that's one of the things they, they actually watch the betting on those mid-major games because he said sometimes he said right away there was alarm bells on the Tulane thing when Hot Rod Williams was there. You know, not, Hot Rod was exonerated from that, but three of the other teammates were not. So, um, you know, I have no compassion for Rid- Ridley on this at all.
1: Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of interesting discussions that are going to happen as gambling starts to spread nationally. And, mm-hmm. boy, just uh, they, they better be vigilant because all it takes is a couple players and a whole lot of trouble. So, all right, Terry, on that note, let's take a quick break. We will be back. We're going to talk some Cavaliers. We want to talk about your faith column. We'll talk a little bit of March Madness College basketball. We got a couple Hey Terry questions. So we will be right back on Terry's Talking. We are back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's get into the Cavaliers. Some win for them last night in uh, Indianapolis. 127-124 127-124 over the Pacers Tuesday night. They are 38 and 27. They're pretty firmly ensconced in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. That was a huge uh, game yeah. against Toronto the other night that gave them a little bit of breathing room there, but boy, last night just Darius Garland is just starting to establish himself as just one of the up and coming stars in this league and last night career high 41 points, 13 assists, five rebounds, two steals. What did you think of that performance last night? The stat I saw that really surprised me. I knew he was making a lot of
0: driving layups and that. He had 16 of those 41 points in the paint. That's something for someone his size. Yeah, he's barely six foot. He's thin. But it it seems like there's big guys around him, and he has ways of using different angles and and that kind of stuff. Now, this is going to go way back. Lenny Wilkins had the ability to do the same thing. I, I was just going to
1: ask you: Is there another player you can remember on the cat? I mean, obviously LeBron could get to the rack on yeah. anybody, but who else have you it's seen the play? Like at all? The angles and things, you know. Overall, Garland still reminds
0: me of Price because was outside shooting. Price could get Price had some nice little runners and that, but Darius has more, and he's certainly playing below the rim. He's not playing above the rim, uh, but it, it it's remarkable to see that. Um, and much like when Price was here, they're two different teams. When Price played with that group, with Nance and Hot Rod Williams and Doherty, they were really good. When he was out,
1: they so struggled. what? What about what about Garland's game? Do you see in the way Lenny, Wil- Lenny Wilkins played? How Garland would
0: get in there, and it's like, how did that layup go in? There's all these people around him, or he seems like he's going to the rim. It's not he's not going that fast. He's not above the rim. He's switching. He's, he's changing directions. Now, Lenny Wilkins was left handed. That helped him a little bit, too, because people naturally cover him from the right side. Garland makes layups with his right hand with guys around him from the left side of the rim, which makes no sense other than he does it. And so, but that's what I'm saying. You go, and how did he get in there? How did he score like that? And clearly, it's an intelligence thing. It's also the ability to change directions um, laterally and change speeds vertically. Because he's he's not, you know, when you watch him go down the court, it's not like you remember how John Wall or some of these other guys just fly down the court. That's not him. But he's seen the game, and it must look. And Wilkins was the same way. The game must look. They always say looking fast. Well, th- for these guys, it looks slow. It's like they could just see where the different people are. I mean, yeah, LeBron could get to the rim. Oh, my goodness. He's, he's an incredible physical specimen.
1: And it takes a different skill set to do that when you're somebody like Darius Garland. Yeah. 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 And so what, I'm tra- I was it? trying to think of other guards who could take mm-hmm. over a game like that that have played for the Cavaliers. And we've seen Kyrie Irving do this in huge mm-hmm. games and have huge nights. And I, I never got to see World b Free play for the Cavs, but he seems like someone that you, as a guard could just take over a game. Yeah, to go he on a run play, and kind of he win he it by saw. himself any any similarities between those guys or anybody else you can think of in terms no. of just a guard no. taking over a game
0: no and they've had a lot of good point guards um Andre Miller is a very good guard here he would drive to the room but he wasn't this, that kind of scorer uh Terrell Brandon was a good guard he made an all-star team or two um no I can't think of one and He's, he's, Price is the only, you know, Price is the gold standard for point guards in this town. And Darius is that, I'm watching this guy, and I just keep thinking, he has so much to his game, David. I mean, he started making the dreaded mid-range jump shots that they don't want you to take. But you want him to shoot it because he makes them. He shoots 90 at the foul line. You know, we've seen him, his, his uh, three-point range is, is long. So... I just think he's going to be keep and he and he should be a senior in college.
1: Crazy to think about. So that's really. why
0: the thing is keeping him healthy. Watch that back. Now that's one problem for when a younger guy who's smaller doesn't matter old or young. But when they're younger, they haven't figured out sometimes that you might not be wise always to go in there and get knocked down because you're going to get hurt.
1: And we saw the Pacers last night throwing double teams. they were picking them up the and in the back court they threw they threw about 15 different things at him and nothing I could would, stop yeah.
0: him. And you know it, it, it stalled them a bit. they won but I would do that from the beginning. I mean I'm coming at him with two guys. I'm tired of this guy. Let me see what <laughs> put the ball in O'Carroll's hands. somebody I don't want to see them. you know how many tapes do you have to look at of Darius I think Darius would, would figure it out anyway. But just something to disrupt this flow. He was in such a flow and so confident. At least, I remember one time, um, this is back in the old days where before a game, you could just go in the locker room and, and talk to, most of the stars would even do it. Magic Johnson loved to hold court. And I forgot how we got him. There's like three or four of us talking to him. And, you know, how do you, we got into the subject of pressure. And I, I think I said like something like, Magic I don't think pressure is ever really, you know, I'm being full court, pick you up. Uh, it doesn't seem to really bother you. He said, any point guard that says that pressure filling up full court never bothers them is lying. He said, it always does because it, it, it takes you out of your normal flow. Now you can beat it. You can make them pay. And magic Johnson being six foot nine and, and big and strong was often able to throw over it, but to pretend it, It's irrelevant. No, it did. So if he said it, it's going to bother Garland. It's going to bother anybody. The question is, you know, how much your defense do you want to throw at him, and, and how many dunks are they going to get when you do it? Uh, but I would, I like to disrupt things. It's like I like. I saw a little bit. Uh, JB went to a zone for a little while in that game to try and slow down Indiana. The other thing JB did, you could see he was tired of the defense looking bad. He put Lamar Stevens and O'Courle and Garland and Mobley. And I forgot who the other, I think it was Wade. Dean Wade. Wade. He said, I looked at his bench and said, I got Garland and who are my other four best defenders sitting there? And I'm putting them all on the court. And it worked for a while.
1: Yeah. And Dean Dean Wade had a big deflection late in the game that helped the Cavs get a stop. Stevens had a
0: block. Stevens is underrated. Um, I, I really think that, you know, he, he should play more. So. Um, that's a that'll be something to watch. But it's, it's a kill we're not having Allen. I mean, we're seeing Mobley's game expand. But, man, you know, that... And Markham. Markham set, stepped up, too. But it's still... You know, the big three, that big, original idea of the big three is a good idea.
1: Yeah, and just to recap real quick, Mobley had 22 points, 12 boards, 5 steals, and a block. How about 5 he steals? The pacers and and 21 points. He was eight of 14 from the field. Mm -hmm. If they ever get this team healthy, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. Uh, It just seems like they're just snake bitten. Everybody comes back, and then somebody else goes down. And um, real quick, Terry, uh, Rajon Rondo. I'm sorry, David. Before we go to Rondo, I'm
0: interested to see LeVert too with this group. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I always hear when you hear one week, two week foot injury, I'm always guarded on that. I mean,
1: you know, go ahead. Yeah, the feet. You never know with the feet with all the bones yeah. and everything going on in there. But I was just going to ask, what do you think the impact of Rajon Rondo coming back can be? Uh, how important is it going to be? He played 10 minutes last night. He didn't score four assists. They're starting you know, he's starting to work his way back in mm-hmm. after having that toe issue. Important for him to be back in, in yeah, I mean, 10 minutes? Yeah, I mean,
0: 10 minutes of Rondo getting four assists is pretty good. So the other thing he can do, is if you want to run Garland, take the say they're running the whole team at Garland. Okay, put Rondo back there with them. This is what they did early here with Rubio. Let him bring it up. Garland could run off picks or or whatever. And uh, it's really hard to double-team a guy when he doesn't have the ball. Yeah. I mean, it sounds sort of obvious. But if I want to create a matchup, a one-on-one matchup for Garland, what I'm gonna do is is Put the ball in rondo's hands i suppose a good one could do it too but rondo rondo made a couple nice passes to market and i noticed there was one or two passes right through to a big guy who got fouled you don't get an assist for that but the coaches notice that so um he helps
1: for sure yeah and it'll be less load for uh, Darius garland to carry so that'll be good too Uh, in terms of getting them on the bench a little bit. So, all right. Cavs are Friday at Miami. They got a couple off days here before they play in Miami. That's an eight o'clock tip. Then they are back-to-back Saturday in Chicago. Then they come home for a five-game homestand next week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Monday, the 21st. It's the Clippers, the Sixers, the Nuggets, the Pistons, and then the Lakers come here on Monday, the 21st. So, two road games this weekend and five at home for the Cavs. They're going to try and hold one of those top six playoff spots. So, all right, Terry, it's March. That means March Madness. Mm-hmm. We have the MAC tournament in town this week, starting today with the women's quarterfinals and running through Saturday. The women's championship will be Saturday at 11 down at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, and the men will be playing their championship game at 730. And also, this was a real surprise. The Case Western Reserve men's basketball team wasn't even seated in the NCAA Division III tournament, and they have made it to the Sweet 16, and now they get to host this weekend against Mary Harden Baylor. And you went out there and you talked to um, a lot of people at case about how this happened and and kind of just where this came from. Why don't you talk about case basketball for a minute? Now, here's a subject I never thought we'd be talking about.
0: (laughs) You know, they've had a couple of nice football teams that have gotten the D3 playoffs, but then they lost right away. Um, This is a team that basically if they went 500, it was a really good year for their whole you know, the whole run for a while, even go back to when Bill Sudik was there. Um, the, the thing that changed is uh, the coach, Todd McGinnis, this was a COVID year. And by the way, their conference was one that didn't play at all last year. So some of the other D3s didn't, also didn't, but they didn't. And so there were these players who graduated from different colleges who wanted to go to a high level graduate school. And what they ended up doing is three of these guys have come to case Western and they're um, they got a guard. who was a walk-on kind of bench sitter at Mercer kid named Peterson. And he has become their leading scorer. They got a kid named Griffin Conacher who came in from another school and he's been their leading assist guy. Um, and a a third guy is sort of a big man off the bench and then they have a player locally hunter uh, and hunter went to the same revere high school as larry nance jr he was pretty well regarded he was kind of a borderline division one certainly division two but he wants to go to med school and he had the big high big grades and you know case western i mean if you want to go to med school What a place where you're right there with Cleveland Clinic and UH hospitals right there next to you. So they picked him up and it's just been nice. But I mean, these kids, they're taking, you know, they all have like 1350 on the SAT and they're taking courses. The interesting thing to me is a number of them didn't come from these elite prep schools. They came from public schools or small Catholic schools. So it's these, I've written two stories on it. It's fun. It's unique. It's something that may not happen at case again. Cause I, you know, when are they ever going to get three grad transfers, but the year was set. It's not like it was a phony thing. It's just that players are allowed to play another year. And then they thought, man, if I go to grad school and play another year, um, why not? Cause after that, I'm going to be on wall street or I'm going to be, you know, going to law school or or something, you know,
1: yeah, I, I have no idea how people do pre-med and play sports at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I don't either. Just, I don't know when they sleep. Well, but... well,
0: part of it, by the way, there, what Case does, and the other uh, some of the other schools, is you, a coach, as Todd McGinnis, the kosher, said you have to realize kids will miss part of practice or something for labs. You know, if you're in the science, you're in medicine, all these things, labs. Secondly, you got to realize in the summer, they're going to have internships, So you can't just have your hands on them all the time. You actually have to retreat them like students. And so they better rack up the numbers and the grades to get in. And that's why, you know, one or two kids quit these teams
1: every year because they find they just can't do both. Yeah, it's a lot. All right, so Case is going for the Final Four. They're going to be playing Friday at 8 o'clock, as we said, against number six-seeded Mary Harden-Baylor. And then Saturday they are at 8 o'clock against the winner of Elmhurst and Calvin. That'll be the first game on Friday night. So Saturday's championship game is at eight. So, all oh, right, Terry. You, do,
0: you know what you just did? What I do? One of those things from who, Hoos- like from Hoosiers, where the little kid has to shoot the free throws at this big game. And Gene Hackman says, you know, after Shorty makes the two free throws, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> so he case said, well, wins after the- they knock off after 29 knock of off, two, Yeah. After Hoos- they knock the off the elite teams in the country. After they knock them off, then they get the winner of this game.
1: Well, we're not going to get to talk to people till next week, Terry. I want them to know if they want to go to the championship game, it is going to be Saturday at yes. eight. Whoever is going to be in it is going to it's going to be Saturday at eight, and we'll, well see. You just you just case you just case your blessing, so that's okay. I'm the Gene Hackman of the 2020s. I'll tell and you. And you know what? Go for it. they
0: am they not. They're, this is not going. There's a reason. It's the first time they ever made the D3
1: playoffs. <laughs> it, this thing is probably not coming by again. This is your year. <laughs> All right, Terry, um, your faith column has a really strong connection to sports this week, and I wanted to kind of read the top of it, Uh, your faith in you column, which will appear on cleveland.com on Saturday morning, and then it's in the Plain Dealer on Sundays. And you write, I received this letter from John, and that's not his real name, but John wrote, I'm a full-time caregiver of my wife who was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 51. She's now 57. She was my biggest supporter in medical school, my 30-year career as a family physician and in life. Words cannot describe what a beautiful person she is. She taught first grade for four years before raising our six children. Her devotion to her family was unsurpassed. From her expertise in the kitchen to making outfits for the kids, including annual Halloween costumes, she always put God first. Even though she's progressed in the disease, I know God is with us. We have been blessed with our Catholic faith, and we will continue to trust in God. I have been a Cleveland fan since birth and converted her when we started dating. We continue to watch the Cavaliers holding hands. Enjoying a Cavs victory never gets old. And then from there, you go on to talk about in your column about the connection between sports and faith. And mm-hmm. I, I thought this was a really great way to launch into that topic. Why don't you kind of tell people? We'll do yeah, that. because
0: one of the things that um, people miss is, especially if you're like the doctor there who's home care with his wife, or even when my dad had a stroke, he would look forward to the games on TV. Um, I wrote another part. I have a friend named Jerry Crawford. who was an off-Broadway playwright and taught for years at UNLV. And, um, and then the, he later retired to Marquette, Michigan. His wife had battled cancer and all kinds of other stuff. In the last number of years of her life with him, he had converted her to be an Indians fan and they would watch it. And all of a sudden she just fell in love with us. Drupal Cabrera. That was her guy. Not particularly any rational reason, but I mean, I would call him sometime. Hey, Jerry, how's it going? I'm good. You know, then he goes. You know, we got a game tonight, and I, as I mentioned too, as you know, baseball of course slogs everything out. It's like remember there are a whole bunch of people out there watching at home. We can't come to a game and say we got a game tonight, and your game does matter to them, whether it's a Cavs game or that. And it's I think just the thing that helps you you know, in the in and the struggle and, and the faith struggles that people have. Or as I mentioned, too, there comes times when you have to put people in nursing homes because the, the health situation got so bad. Well, you get a chance to go over there and watch the game.
1: Or, yeah, it's kind of a story that helps people pull through each day and it yeah, kind of continues look, and you, you know, get to follow the characters and yeah.
0: Yeah, they get there and that and it's just, hey, they won, they lost. Let's wear an Indian shirt or in the old days as Jerry would do or, you know, here's the new guardians thing here's what it looks like you know this stuff that's so important when you're dealing with um as a friend of mine who chuck chuck myricks he's a pastor in akron, akron church of god he said sometimes you get these things where it seems like the overwhelming the burden of your task overwhelms hope if you don't stand on something and so that's and that got into his disc he's a huge sports fan too and he He talked about some of the things he did with his dad when they reached the point where they had to put him in the nursing home. And um, and they also used to talk about the Browns all the time, he and his dad. So I I look at a lot of my job is just that I am giving I'm in a diversion department. Diversion from real life.
1: Yeah. And let's hope that Major League Baseball gets its act together because there's so many people who depend on Mm -hmm. baseball and nobody. You're right. Nobody really talks about that. It's just kind of all who's going to get arbitration and how many fans are are not coming to the ballpark because the games are canceled. But there's people who depend on this. who Can't get out of the house. They're shut ins. Yeah, it's a big TV show for a lot of people. Yeah, very important. So, all right, let's do some. Hey, Terry questions. Terry, you ready? Mm -hmm. All right. This one is from Angelo L from Lakewood, Ohio. He says, hey, Terry. One of the biggest shocks to me this Brown season was the horrendous job of coaching that Kevin Stefanski did. (laughs) The media alludes to it, but generally downplays it. How do you go from coach of the year to that? Not sitting Baker when hurt. OBJ, trying to block the defensive player of the year with a fourth string rookie and no help. Less than adequate play calling, etc. How would analytics evaluate his play calling? The window for Super Bowl aspirations is short-lived. Should the Browns have had an experience learning on-the-job coach at this critical time? No. What do you think, Terry? Yeah, and that, yes, there's
0: several of the criticisms are correct. The tough thing about the offense is you look at that and how much of it was just Baker. You know, uh, oh, here comes the Case Keenum horse again, out of the stall. That's a mistake. <laughs> Settle him up. You know what? <laughs> is you would have found out a little more about the coaching. You really would have. How much was Baker and then how much was, if the offense looked as clunky with case over a couple of games as it did with Baker, then maybe the offense is really clunky. I will say this. I thought uh, in the the game that really counted the Denver game, remember they they were playing Dearness Johnson that day too, and they had other people hurt. It ran pretty efficiently. I think they won 17 to 14. That's why we're really going to have to win. So, and the other thing that we, in fact, it wasn't just me, a couple other writers mentioned it in the press boxes. I kept my mouth shut because I didn't want to drag the Keenum horse out of the stall yet again. But in the last game of the year, now Case made a really dumb play where he fumbled near the goal, goal, goal line and that. But the offense ran, I just would say, more efficiently with him.
1: Well, I'm going to stand up for Kevin Stefanski here. And a point yeah. I want to make is. People get hired as head coaches and as fans, you look at that and you're like, all right, they should be doing this, 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 and this. And I think something that a lot of times people forget is when you start a new job, like you can be as prepared as anybody in the world for that job. But until you do it for a year or two, like you haven't done it. And everything, even through COVID, went so well for the Browns in year one. And then there's there's always – a learning process and i'm sure kevin mm-hmm. stefanski learned a lot about not only himself but his team and his staff things that they want to do things they don't want to do and a coach is like a player a coach is, is trying to improve and ch- they're evolving and growing and changing as their career goes along and this is kevin stefanski's first run at this and i think i'm not saying it's a do over i mean this is the nfl and as jerry glanville said back in the day that stands for not for long if you don't win I get that, but I think Kevin Stefanski should be cut a little slack by Browns fans in terms of, like, hey, you know what? It, you're going to have adversity as a coach, just like you are as a player. And I think That's Browns what fans, I like.
0: By the way, the, yeah. the Keenum thing, the offense didn't look bad with Keenum in there. Now, you know, if you had a more talented quarterback, there's more to be gotten, but it didn't look bad. It looked a lot like it did the year before. Secondly, at the end of the year, I wrote a story about how I thought. Year two from Stefanski looked like sort of what I expected from year one, right? And then you would expect year two. Uh, now, a big thing they have to deal with the high number of penalties. I had all the stats in that story. You know, they're in the top three in yardage and top three in unforced, uh, with the, basically the unforced errors, pre-snap penalties. That stuff, that's that's coaching. Some of that you got to clean that up. But to your point, this is not. A time to just oh you know Stefanski this and and he's an he's an easy target uh, because that's how it goes with the coach, but they they were eight and nine, it's not like they went from uh, eleven and five to five and five, eleven yeah or five, five and, and twelve, 12 or whatever, or whatever, yeah. which they did I remember uh, in eighty they went from eleven and five with Brian psyched to eighty one they were five and eleven so there wasn't this cataclysmic fall. But I, I definitely would want to see what it, the team looks like next year. Uh, but I just, I want, you know, I'm fine. They want to get Baker in shape and get him going, but I want a real quarterback behind him. I don't, I want a guy that if the, the coach and GM think this guy, you know, Baker's just not our guy, that you could put this other guy in and not punt on the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. If the if the Browns' seasons had been flipped and they went eight and nine the first yeah. year and 11 and five or 12 and five or whatever, people would be feeling in a completely different place. Yeah, because like so, a natural progression. Like, I get it. The clock is ticking and they got to win. Like, they got to win now. Mm-hmm. But I just think, in terms of Kevin's people writing off Kevin Stefanski, I think it's no, way it's too early. Sure. And then you got to no, go
0: into, if not him, who, you know, you put, so, right. I, no, no, stop, stop with all this fighting. I mean, the nice thing is, like, this is now the third year with the same coach and the same front office, which takes you back, David, to when was the last time knew? In three consecutive years, my Terry's trivia, with the same coach and the same GM, three in a row. You stumped me,
1: Terry. I, I'm coming up One with coaches, but not GMs. Phil Savage. They were together for three years. They were together them. for four. For four, boy. But that's it, 05 to 08. All right. Good one. You got me. The clock is ticking around Kevin Stefanski and Angela. Thanks for the question. Um, You prompted a great discussion there. So thank you for that. Hey, if you want to hit us with a, Hey Terry question for next week's podcast, you can get Terry at his Facebook page, or if you want to email it in, you can just send it to sports at cleveland.com and we will try and get it on next week. Speaking of ticking clocks, Terry, we've got to go. We're running short on time here. I do have a Terry's trivia question for you and I'm going to guess you are going to get this one. So you win the Terry's Trivia Battle this week because you got me. So, all right, we talked about David Njoku Joku getting the franchise tag for the 2022 season, valued at about 10.8 million dollars. This was only the second time that the Browns have used a franchise tag to keep a player. Who was the other one? Yeah, I know this because he's my—I'm not
0: saying buddy, but we're—we're we're, as far as a player coach uh, writer relationship, pretty strong. Phil Dawson was it and it was in 2012 2011 not yeah 11 going the 12th season right right he was not happy about it and uh because then banner came in and there because he wanted just a multi-year contract he i mean he was it's sort of like browns fans get kickers i get kickers and kickers get kickers but nobody else seems to get kickers that they're like until you don't have one by the way zane gonzalez just signed a uh uh, multi-year extension, I think, with Carolina.
1: Well, the Browns draft pick.
0: All right, how about this? We'll throw this out since we're on kickers, which I like the subject. Um, should the Browns draft a kicker or not? Because I have strong feelings on this. I say yes. Okay. Have
1: the Browns drafted kickers before? For sure. And? They are? They haven't worked out. Uh, was Zane Gonzalez was one? Yes. Yes. Um, Cybert yeah. was drafted. I think he was in the fourth round. Fifth. I'm trying to remember. Fifth. Okay. Fifth. So those are two in recent memory. Those are memory. two in recent years. Okay. So are you against I, that or for
0: it? Generally against it. I would rather get a guy that I liked who went somewhere and got cut. I just think it's very hard. Now, McPherson for the Bengals just was outstanding. And he was drafted by them. And they kept drafting the kickers till they found one. But I think there are good kickers out there. Or you just go get a veteran. You just pay one of these guys. All right. Well, we'll they see how like that to, plays out. Phil Dawson will tell you, they don't like to pay kickers. I mean, I'd rather – that means at least you're starting to pay attention. But like Zane Gonzalez, now he's he struggled here. um, But then he – I remember he got caught. He had pulled a groin muscle or something and missed a couple field goals and he got cut. Then he went to, uh, I want to say Arizona or somewhere, and kicked fairly well. Now he's with Carolina. But I just think of these guys. It's a, And Dawson will tell you, it's a job you learn as you go along. He believes he was only like 12 or 16 or something like that in field goals this rookie year. And, by the way, he was cut three times in 98, before he made the Browns in 99. And he believes if it wasn't an expansion team or whatever, he might have got cut again. He said, you just got to learn it. And also, he said, when you're in college, you're not just not dealing in all the different weather conditions and everything else like here
1: in Cleveland. So you want to catch someone who's been through some of that, some has of that. some experience, yeah. bring them in. All right. Yeah. Well, one of the key issues for the Browns, and no doubt about it, this offseason, they got to solve that. It cost them dearly in 2021. So, all right, Terry, I think we're good. You got anything else? That is it. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everybody. Uh, We'll be back next week, and we'll have some March Madness to talk about. We'll have some NFL free agency. And thanks again for listening to Terry's talking.